Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. After a 30-year agency career that included notable stints with Edelman and WE Communications, Alan Vandermolen was named Chief Communications Officer at CPG giant SC Johnson last year. Alan oversees both internal and external communications at SC Johnson, reporting to CEO Fisk Johnson. In this wide-ranging conversation with Lippy Taylor CEO Paul Dyer, Alan delves into the importance of trust, keys to revolutionizing sustainability practices, the importance of internal comms, his advice to aspiring leaders, and what it was like joining SC Johnson at the height of the pandemic. Now, without further ado, please enjoy this conversation between SC Johnson CCO Alan Vandermolen and Lippy Taylor CEO Paul Dyer. Hello, and welcome back to Damn Good Brands. This is Paul Dyer with Lippy Taylor, and I'm joined here today by Alan Vandermolen. Alan, thank you for joining us. I'm so happy to be with you today. Um, Alan, you joined SC Johnson in March of 2020, which is an inauspicious month in the history of the world, right as the pandemic was peaking. So I got to ask, what was your first order of business? Uh, actually getting a flight to take me from London to, uh, to Chicago. So getting out of the UK was a pretty good trick. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well... It's, you you did make it though, so I suppose that's um, you know at least shows your resourcefulness. Well, you know, as as uh, as the plane was en route from Heathrow, and I think we changed in uh, in JFK in New York, the health form declarations actually changed when we were in the air, so we had to wait for two hours on the ground at JFK to get the new forms to fill in, and it just was kind of downhill from there, really. Wow. I mean, they talk about how in, you know, communications, we need to be nimble, but that's, that's like a different level of um, agility. They, they were still so serving then, alcohol on flights then, although I, I think the current ban on alcohol on flights may be partially ban, uh, based on, uh, on my flight over. <laughs> well, um, it's, you made it, you landed. You are, you are now uh, here in Racine, Wisconsin, and I'm curious, you know, just the past year and a half, I know this is a very broad question, but as you look at the past year and a half, what have you learned as a result of it about leadership and communications? Um, what have I learned? L- look, you know, I, I kind of hit um, the ground here and I came into the office on my first day and was sent home immediately, um, A, because our facilities were closed, but B, because I was put into quarantine. So, you know, you, you learn very quickly how important a human connection is. And you learn how to make human connections um, for as long as you need to without being face to face. So I, I think that, you know, the importance of humanity um, and the importance of being face to face are two things that really um, struck me and, and have kind of stayed with me. 
it's a good reminder, you know, the humanity and everything that we do as communications, but also, you know, as leaders with our teams. Um, this change for you in this new job was also a big change in the sense of you're a longtime agency leader and making them move um, corporate side. And obviously, uh, we've seen that happen a couple of times recently, right? Barry Rafferty, Wendy Lund, to name a few. Um, Barry Rafferty, just, by the way, Barry and I were um, assistant account executives at Burson Marsteller, New York in 1988. We both uh, both started there. I don't know if he's going to appreciate you using the year, but yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's nice to hear though that obviously um, she made an impression on you. You remember it today? We're good friends. We're we're very good friends. Still in touch. That's great. So, do you think there's a common thread to people making this switch now, or is it per pure coincidence from agency to corporate? Look, I, I think the corporate environment has changed a little bit in that. Generally speaking, corporates have traditionally looked for um, senior comps people who have long in-house experience and they have shunned agencies primarily because they there's a perception that agency people don't see things through, in quotes. I heard that many times as I was considering my next steps. Um, however, I think that the environment for communications has changed so much in the last you know, five to seven years, um, in particular with the decline of mainstream media and the rise of social and the need to really understand the media ecosystem and understand creating what I'll call branded content that's engaging. I, I think that in-house departments by and large miss the front end of that trend and therefore weren't driving as much innovation as they needed internally. So I think um, big corporations now are looking inside the agency world because by and large, that's where the innovation's happening. I think that makes sense. And you're right about the changing media landscape, of course. And it's interesting though, also to think of what would Facebook have become if there was no news media? I mean, you think about the prevalence of news in feeds, um, it's obviously they've become really sort of synergistic with one another. So I'm curious, as you look forward, you said a lot's changed the last five years. You look at the next five years, we've got branded content, we've got the role of social, we've got the sort of waxing and waning news media. You know, what, what are the things you're looking at the next five years and thinking hmm, maybe they, either this is where things are going or, or things that you want to you know, uh, sharpen up on, learn more about? Yeah, I mean, I think there, there's a couple things, right? I'm I'm obsessed with branded content and the ability to create in as close to real time as possible branded content that engages with a specific audience and that travels across the media ecosystem. So, you know, I'm, I'm really focused on bringing creative in-house, uh, creative that's based on insights and analytics and then starting to master the movement of branded content across the ecosystem um, in a very deliberate fashion. So I think that both on the agency side and in-house, the, uh, the departments or the companies that can bring a level of sophistication and mastery to that uh, are gonna add a lot of value to their clients or to their organizations. The other thing, uh, the other two things that I think are, are happening that are really interesting is 
I think we're going to see a rebounding of the importance of quality editorial. And I, I realize that the definition of quality editorial in our country anyway is dictated a little bit more by political um, ideology than it is about uh, facts or, or verifiable facts. However, I do think that, that quality editorial is going to make a comeback because I, I think it's been beaten so badly and, and so driven by partisanship that I think there's going to be a hunger for verifiable facts, verifiable editorial. And then I think the amplification value of that across corporate channels is going to um, grow exponentially. The other thing that I, I didn't anticipate before I got into the role, although my good friend Corey DeBrow um, out at Google told me this, he's like, uh, you're going to be amazed how much time you spend on internal communication. And uh, he was absolutely correct. So I think that uh, the contemporization of internal communication, I think, is kind of the other thing that I'd look to uh, accelerate in the coming few years. Yeah, and that's, that's certainly a theme that we've been hearing more and more over the last 18 months, in particular with the workforce and moving to virtual work in many cases, and CEOs you know, not being accustomed to managing the business through communication channels. And so, you know, looking to their comms heads to help with that. And um, so, again, you, you landed in the role on month one of the pandemic. So I have to imagine <laughs> that internal was a, was a large part, probably more so than you expected. Yeah, look, I mean, look, we've, we've learned a lot along the way. Um, I think sharing key learnings with, uh, with peers um, is really important. I mean, being able to pick up the phone and talk to a Barry or talk to a Corey or, you know, other CCOs has been really valuable, as well as plugging into, let's call it subject matter experts and employee engagement and employee communication, um, sitting in management consultancies more so than sitting in the PR firms has been very helpful. That's good to know. It's certainly something the PR firms are also trying to you know, bring a unique perspective on, of course. Um, so another thing that I think comes up frequently, and, and SC Johnson is oftentimes pointed to as an example of a, a corporate brand that really does a good job of endorsing the product brands, because of course, most people are familiar with a family company, SC Johnson, a family company. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts just on the role of the corporate brand as it relates to um, the products and whether that's you know, providing air cover or a found, you know, foundation or a platform for the product brands as well. Okay. I think there's a symbiotic relationship between the corporate brand and product brands and, and vice versa. I think the, the corporate brand broadly sets a trust agenda and broadly establishes trust um, with, again, a wide range of stakeholders. And I think product brands um, need to live up to the corporate brand as well as provide proof points for what the corporate brand is saying. And, and in our instance, our purpose is a family company at work for a better world. And we've got four parts to that a more sustainable world, a more transparent world as it relates to ingredient transparency a healthier world in a world with more opportunity. And I think we provide from a corporate level, those broad four pillars of trust. And then I think our brands try to ladder up 
to uh, to what the corporate brand has set out. So I think it's a symbiotic relationship, and uh, I think one one can't um, thrive without the other. I think that those two things need to be in sync. That makes a lot of sense, and of course, I appreciate your emphasis on trust. You actually been quoted as saying, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and read the quote here. Trust is evolving into a core competency for business. Businesses need to be less worried about managing their reputation and more worried about managing the trust they have with their key stakeholders. Do the other executives that you interact with on a regular basis understand the importance of trust and understand when you say trust versus reputation? I think in a theoretical framework, yes. Um, I, I think to make that practical, um, you have to kind of have a shared definition, right? And, and I think that the trust is the expression of how stakeholders believe you're going to behave in the future. So if a potential employee trusts you, they believe you're going to pay them a fair wage, that you're going to have an inclusive environment that you're going to give them opportunities to grow and succeed, those kinds of things. So they believe that you're going to behave in a certain way in the future. And the same goes for consumers that they believe that the claims you make about your product are there. They believe that the product is priced in the right way that provides value. And they believe that if something goes wrong with the product or the brand, that the company is going to be there to back it up. Therefore, they will purchase it. I think that reputation is a rearview mirror. It's the sum of perceptions of past performance. And I think there's an intersection between reputation and trust that's moving in real time. But I think companies that are going to be successful are those who are managing relationships with stakeholders, real people, real groups, real communities, and they have a bond that says those stakeholder groups believe that they're going to behave in a particular way in the future versus just looking at what they've done in the past. And, and I think you're wasting your time if you, uh, as a department uh, or as an agency, are selling reputation management because you're trying to change the past. <laughs> Certainly. Although, of course, there's plenty of um, you know charts and whiteboard scribbles that have been written about um, shifting perception about the past. Um, but I certainly appreciate the distinction you've drawn there. Um, another thing that's interesting is, you know, looking at sort of past performance versus projecting, you know, future reliability. Um, SC Johnson is um, certainly a leader when it comes to um, protecting oceans and, and plastic and the amount of plastic, you know, that the company um, generates and that ends up in the ocean and announced actually somewhat recently um, that you had stopped your one billionth bottle from ending up in the ocean. Um, <clears throat> past performance, you know, stopping a billion bottles from going into the ocean, projecting forward, this is the kind of company that we believe we can trust to do the right thing, build a sustainable business. What is the role of sustainability when it comes to the overall business strategy today? And, and in particular, in the context of CPG companies where you got to make stuff, you know, and you got to ship stuff. Like what, where does sustainability play into the, the broader business imperatives and the role of communications in that? Well, look, I, I think first of all, 
business and governments both would be well served as trying to demystify sustainability, right? I think that consumers by and large understand sustainability is good, but when you start to push consumers about what sustainability is, maybe they can give you some micro examples. But what we're trying to do is really make make sustainability relatable and relevant for consumers and for all stakeholders. And in doing that, we're really looking at this notion of a waste-free world that at SC Johnson, our vision is really to drive a waste-free world. And that means that anything that we put out in the environment, we want to make sure that that is capturable. It is recyclable, renewable, reusable, and that we want to help communities and consumers contribute to to that waste-free world. I think certainly there is a, a very big issue with plastic waste. And there's kind of two issues related to that, one of which is only 8% of plastic waste in this world ends up in a recycling stream. The rest of it ends up in landfill or, or indeed ends up in our oceans. And I think the consumer packaged goods industry must acknowledge that they're a significant part of that problem and they must start to address that through driving any number of things, innovation and in packaging, um, uh, reusable packaging, um, concentrated products, those kinds of things, as well as trying to capture the plastic that's out there and get it into closed loop recycling. So uh, you extend uh, the life of, of that packaging. So those are some of the things that we're working on. Mm-hmm. So shifting gears entirely, during COVID, SC Johnson activated a program with Sesame Street where you produced educational videos designed to make children more curious and ask more questions. So you just talked about sort of clarifying what we mean about sustainability and, and, and all of the, you know, the things that go with that. You talked earlier about branded content, although this was not a particularly you know, um, branded program necessarily. Curiosity in children, how does that fit with the overall brand and communications imperatives for SC Johnson? I mean, look, one, one of the four pillars that we look at is, is called opportunities, which is creating greater opportunity for social and economic mobility, in particular in underserved communities. And Sesame Street and the Sesame Workshop fills a very big void in there, we think, in helping to close the gap in communication between caregivers and children, whether those caregivers are traditional family or a more non-traditional family, or indeed the caregiver is a teacher or, you know, a, a law enforcement officer or, or what have you. And, and we think in working with Sesame Workshop, we're trying to make it easier for caregivers to talk to children and children to talk to caregivers on the topics of um, healthy behaviors and also on the topic of sustainability and sustainable behavior. So we thought that Sesame Workshop was a really nice fit for us. And uh, we're working together on a lot of educational content that's going to uh, schools around the world and going to caregivers around the world and as well as showing up on uh, Sesame Street's channels. So uh, we're, we're pleased with the early results from that, that program in particular, 
our initial focus was communicating on health and hygiene, which was directly relevant to uh, COVID. And we're going to start to transition over time into sustainability topics. That's great. And certainly you know, delivers against the, the tagline, right? A family company. Um, another thing that you've spoken a lot about, you know, in, in the industry is relevance, kind of kind of big R relevance, which is certainly different from reputation, you know, as you defined it um, just a few minutes ago, being more of a rear view mirror. Um, what is, how would you draw that distinction for us? What does relevance mean today? Um, and, and how should senior communications leaders be thinking of it? Well, let, let's go back to what we talked about in sustainability for a second ago. A lot of companies are making, you know, what I would call moonshot statements that are very difficult to be relevant to a consumer. So, for instance, um, carbon neutral by you insert the date. And what does that mean to a consumer? I would suggest that's not particularly relevant to a, a wide consumer audience. I, I think to a very narrow consumer audience, it probably is. So our approach to that topic is now we're trying to find relevant language, waste-free world, and translate that into things where consumers can understand what we're doing. So we've got three pilot sponsorships we're working on with professional sports teams uh, here in Wisconsin, our home state with the Milwaukee Bucks and the Milwaukee Brewers. And we just signed a global sustainability partnership with uh, Liverpool Football Club in the United Kingdom. That's a global sponsorship where we focus on making sustainability relevant by setting, putting local programs in place that start at the facility of the teams to make recycling easy, making capturing plastic waste easy so we can get to a waste-free, let's say, sporting facility and then a waste-free community. And hopefully the geography of those um, waste-free efforts goes wider and wider. So those are the kinds of things we're doing is to try to make the language human to make the language very understandable and to translate into things that consumers can do at home. Because look, the environmental issues we're facing need systemic solves. They need policy and infrastructure solves. They need product and manufacturing innovation solves. And they also need uh, consumer awareness, education and relevance solves so everyone can work together and however they define community. So that, that's really, we're spending a lot of time and effort to try to make these things R with a capital R for you, no matter where you live. That's great. And, and you guys have also been really well known for a long time for giving back to your headquarters local community there in Wisconsin, um, which obviously is not seen as uh, necessarily a... Um, you know, a trend-making city or anything like that. So not like, not like you're doing that in the hope that uh, New York or Boston is going to follow next, right? It's about doing the right thing there. I mean, can you maybe talk a little bit about what you have done to participate in your local community? Well, look, the company was founded here five generations ago. We've been around nearly 133 years. And since the very beginning, we started to give back in this community. So, uh, founded the first United Way here in, in the city of Racine. We've uh, funded um, places, for, uh, we funded 
education efforts in these communities. And we funded um, uh, outdoor recreation places in these communities. And I think the ethos of the family was and continues to be that we need to start at home. And this is where the majority of our people live. And anywhere we have facilities, we become very committed to commit to, to communities in particular, creating, again, those economic and social mo- mobility pathways through better education, better access to education and better access to economic opportunities um, for those who wish to take them. And that's really been our focus. And it continues to be when you look at what I'll call our hometown um, philanthropies. Mm-hmm. So a few minutes ago, you talked about how analytics and data should inspire the creativity and the, the branded content, those kinds of things. So I have, I have two questions for you related to analytics. The first is, is that capability something that you're developing within the comms organization, or is it a partnership with the, you know, the, the data market research marketing science team internally there? And then second, have you solved the eternal question of measuring PR and communications? Oh, dude, you're hitting me with two hard ones. Uh, <laughs> let's, let, let's go with the first one. We've absolutely embedded um, analytics into this function, insights and analytics. And we do that uh, through two ways. We do it through what I would call reasonably sophisticated um, listening and tracking that we manage on a dashboard system within the function here. So within the uh, global uh, corporate affairs and communications function here in Racine. We also do that with an outside partner, um, Harris, where we have uh, weekly gen pop tracking on how narratives are landing and being perceived and what emerging narratives are and areas that are of interest uh, to our people and to our consumers. So we're absolutely data-centric. Is is it to my satisfaction? I would say no, um, because I want to be as close to real-time as possible so I can inform content and inform creative. Uh, I'd say we're, you know, getting there. I'd say we're informing it on a monthly basis, uh, which is good, but I think we need to be a little bit more agile. And part of that is going to be really getting the cost of production across all of our channels down because the production of, of, of creative and content is really a a large cost and you've got to be very, very efficient there. So we're looking for more innovation there to, to drive those costs down. Now, I would also say that, we work closely with our colleagues in marketing on a category level because at the end of the day, we're by and large talking to the same consumers. They would have a little bit more knowledge um, about those consumers as it relates to category-based behaviors than we would. So we certainly um, drive what I would call a symbiotic relationship with, uh, with our colleagues in marketing on um, on measurement, uh, we, we rely primarily on our trust data, uh, which we measure two ways that are proprietary to the corporation um, to see how we're doing on, on trust metrics and then to make sure that um, 
what we're putting out into the ecosystem is actually having an impact. So do we have a silver bullet for measurement? We may or we may not. If we did, I wouldn't share it. Um, but I, I would say certainly we're, we're, very, we're very focused on measurement. Well, it's, it's great to hear you. At least you have a very clear point of view on it with your, your trust filter. Um, so final question here is, you, you've obviously had a very successful career. Um, for the people who are listening here today, thinking about what they should do in terms of skills they should develop, professional acumen that they should hone, what advice would you give them about things that they should do to better themselves as they hopefully aspire to be, you know, following a, a similar career foot, footsteps? Uh, another easy question. Thanks. Um, <laughs> look, you know, I think I've always had a pretty simple filter on what I'm doing meaning what I'm doing for my clients, whether those are clients now that I'm on in-house or in the day when I was on the consultancy side. And it's a very simple question to ask yourself, which is, you know, is what am I, is, is what I'm doing right now this very second having a positive impact on my client's business? It's a very, very simple question. And if you can answer that question, yes, you should do more of that. If the question is no, then you better stop doing that and do something else. And the question is, I don't know. You better figure that one out in a hurry. You're going to be looking for a new job. So I really think it, it's, it, it's that simple. And, you know, as I've had time away from agency now for 18 months, I'm not convinced that um, people inside the agencies know where to find the answers to those questions. And, you know, I think that gets to tighter dialogues with clients, understanding client expectations and having a better feel for, uh, for a client's business and how things run internally. So, uh, you know, I would say never get, never get tired of learning. Um, for goodness sakes, get out there and meet the people that you're trying to influence as human beings, uh, even though we're very data driven. You have to know people as human beings and what they react to um, and know how to communicate with them across cultural lines and across um, geographic lines. And uh, at the end of the day, be curious without being a pain in the ass. I think that's really it. <laughs> that's great. Be curious without being a pain in the ass. What a way to end. I, I, I love it, Alan. I actually, you know, some, Sometimes we'll reframe that as um, be provocative, but not provoking. Um, but look, thank you. I really appreciate all the straight talk, all the insights. I think that um, people are really going to appreciate hearing from you. So um, thank you for your time and for sharing um, your wisdom. Look, my, I don't know what's wisdom, but it's my absolute pleasure. I think you guys are doing terrific work. I love my friends at, at Provoke Media. And uh, it's really good to be plugged back in. So thanks for your time and investment here. Appreciate it. All right. Here, as always, are some key takeaways from this conversation with Alan. Number one, trust is a must. Alan has been quoted as saying, trust is evolving into a core competency for business. From his perspective, today's brands need to treat the notion of trust with as much reverence and focus as they would typical communication pillars like reputation and promotion. 
Number two, don't try to change the past. Allen states that trust is the expression of how stakeholders believe you're going to behave in the future. And then he emphasizes how reputation is a rear view mirror and the sum of perceptions about past performances. From this angle, Allen finds it to be a fruitless endeavor to try and change past perceptions via reputation management when focusing on the trust you build in the future is a much more worthwhile endeavor. Number three, Define sustainability in terms that your customers actually understand. SC Johnson takes sustainability very seriously at both macro and micro levels. Allen believes the key to sustainable change happens at the community level, which is why it's incumbent on brands to effectively communicate sustainability practices in terms customers can relate to. Phrases like carbon neutral and zero emissions mean a great deal to corporations, but to most people, they're jargon. S.C. Johnson leads with concepts like a waste-free world and showcases what this means on a community level with initiatives at sporting events so that they can remain relevant and relatable to local communities. These are the keys to lasting change as opposed to one-off CSR initiatives. Anyway, thank you as always for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and colleagues on LinkedIn? Don't forget to follow Lippy Taylor on Instagram. That's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R. And to learn more about us, visit us at LippyTaylor.com. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best-selling book, Friction Fatigue, What the Failure of Advertising Means for Future-Focused Brands. In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken and provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on audible.com. Thanks again for listening.